Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Wednesday, January 17th slate of college basketball DFS. Almost slipped up on my dates there, but we've got a nice little eight-game slate on this Wednesday um, where we've got a lot of action in the Big 12 as well as the ACC. Um, so we've got some pretty good games that we're going to break down here for you. We're going to go through game by game and give you a quick overview of what we expect each game to look like, as well as who you need to be targeting or not targeting in DFS for that particular game. So, um, should be a pretty quick rundown on the show today because the eight-game slate is actually slightly smaller than what we've been used to in the past. Um, I do hope to be able to give you guys these episodes for the Thursday and Friday slates this week. Um, I will be heading out of town Friday, though. Um, more on that um, later in the week. But um, basically, I hope to give you the Thursday and Friday episodes on here. And reminder, if you ever want my thoughts on a slate that we don't have an episode for, join the Fantasy Corner Discord. I cannot recommend that enough. Link is in the description as well as on the audio feed. Um, but basically, the Fantasy Corner Discord. We've got a lot of smart people in there talking a lot of DFS for a lot of different sports. The College Basketball Discord has been popping. In the last few weeks, we have had a member of the Discord win the Quarter Jukebox, the Dime Time, um, as well as the High Five in um, DraftKings College Basketball. So, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and guarantee that we're just going to hand out winners, but, um, you know, there's a lot of smart people that you can get ideas from, get their thoughts on it, and and just kind of build a good sound strategy for the slate with a lot of people who have a lot of information, and, and I cannot recommend it enough. So, if you see a slate that I don't have an episode for, like Saturday or Sunday, join the Fancy Discord, Fancy Corner Discord if you want my thoughts on that. All right, so without further ado, let's go ahead and end the introduction there. Let's go ahead and take a look at the first game of this Wednesday night slate. All right, so the first game on the slate is a big one. We've got Mississippi State heading to Lexington to take on the Kentucky Wildcats. Um, this one is one of the better game environments of the slate, in my opinion. It has the second highest total on the slate. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to be um, in favor of Kentucky, 80-75. to 75. Um, Both teams above 75 points. That immediately makes it a game to target. Now, this is a big-time tempo up game for Mississippi State. They currently rank 157th in the nation in tempo and 9th overall in defense, whereas Kentucky ranks 12th in the nation in tempo and 50 fourth on defense. So this is a prime opportunity for Mississippi State to kind of outperform their usual expectations in terms of scoring and in terms of fantasy scoring um, with this Kentucky attack being one that is going to play very fast and not super strong defensively. And if you watch the Texas A&M game, Kentucky really struggled on the glass. So I really think that the Mississippi State rebounders have a nice little edge in this one. Speaking of the Mississippi State rebounders, let's start by talking about Toulouse Smith. So Toulouse Smith was Mississippi State's best player last season. He was injured at the start of the season. He has only played four games. He has started the last two. And in those two games, he has had a 42% and a 31% usage rate. And he has scored 30 and 33 fantasy points, which is easily 4x value from his current salary of $7,200. I think Toulouse Smith is an absolute smash play, especially considering the relative weakness of Kentucky's rebounding. Now, with Toulouse Smith coming back into the lineup, what you've seen is everybody else's usage rate has kind of dropped a little bit, except for Josh Hubbard. And a big reason why is because he comes off the bench and he is basically their instant offense gunner off the bench. He takes a lot of shots. He doesn't give you a whole lot else in fantasy besides scoring, but in a pace-up game where he's going to get plenty of shots and you know, you're probably looking at more potential rebounds and assists because there's going to be more possessions, I could totally see myself playing Josh Hubbard here on this Wednesday slate. Now, the other guy that I do want to mention, or two guys that I do want to mention, 
Shaquille Moore and Deshaun Davis are Mississippi State's starting backcourt. Um, their usage rates aren't the best. Their fantasy scoring generally isn't the absolute best, but, you know, it's a pace-up spot. You know, there's going to be a lot of possessions, and, and these two guys can get you some rebounds and assists as well as scoring. So um, I could totally see myself from this Mississippi State side playing to Lou Smith along with either Hubbard, Moore, or Davis, you know, kind of stack it up a little bit. Now, on the Kentucky side, look, I'm kind of done with their guards. Um, Shepard, Reeves, Dillingham, Wagner, and Edwards, like, they all play. They're all good, but, like, they just kind of cancel each other out in terms of fantasy scoring, and you never really get, like, big-time ceiling games from them, or if you do, it kind of comes out of nowhere with no real rhyme or reason. Since conference play has started, you really haven't gotten a ceiling game out of any of them. Now, Rob Dillingham is the one of all the Kentucky guards that has the best usage numbers, has the best usage rate, shot rate, whatever. Like, his rates are outstanding. Problem is, he doesn't play a whole lot of minutes. Um, the 24 minutes he played against Texas A&M represent the highest amount of minutes that he has played in conference play, so that significantly limits his ceiling. If you told me right now that Rob Dillingham was going to play 30 minutes, I would lock him into every lineup, but I just don't think you can. So the guy that I like playing from this Kentucky side is Trey Mitchell. So if somebody tells you that Trey Mitchell is going to be guarded by Toulouse Smith tomorrow, I don't think that is going to be accurate. What Kentucky has done is, since they've gotten Bradshaw and Onyeso back from injury, is they have played Trey Mitchell almost exclusively at the power forward spot, which should be hugely beneficial for him because he doesn't have to go up against Toulouse Smith. And what that also do is that kind of frees him up on the defensive end to not guard super high usage players, to chase rebounds, and on the offensive end, he's not going up against center so he can use his size mismatch against other power forwards. So him moving to the four has been a revelation for his season because you look at his last five games, 47, 30, 29, 47, 34 fantasy points in those five games. He's been outstanding. He's only $8,000 on DraftKings. I think this is a great spot for Trey Mitchell because he is playing the four spot, not the five spot. Now, speaking of Kentucky's five spot, Aaron Bradshaw got in massive foul trouble in that game last Saturday against Texas A&M. And what you saw was a ceiling game from Ugana Onyeso. He ended up playing 31 minutes and putting up 29.5 fantasy points. I'm not going to chase that because I think that was solely a result of the foul trouble out of Bradshaw. Um, I, I, I will pass on Onyeso unless he can show us that he can do that consistently. Next up on the docket is Mississippi Ole Miss taking on LSU. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to be 75 to 73 in favor of LSU. Um, this is a pretty contrast of styles as well, like the first one was. Um, LSU currently ranks 57th in the nation in tempo, and Ole Miss ranks 257th in the nation in tempo. Ole Miss, you know, they're coached by Chris Beard now, and they are playing Chris Beard style basketball. They are here to play rock fights. Um, now, on that Ole Miss side, they really run a lot through their guards. Um, Merle, Flanagan, and Murray. But the problem is, is that, you know, again, kind of like the Kentucky guards, they can kind of cancel each other out at times. But let me kind of give you the breakdown from what they have looked like in conference play. So in conference play, Alan Flanagan has had better usage, shot rates, rebound rates, and assist rates than Matthew Morrell. On paper, he looks like the better play. However, Morrell has also had some solid fantasy outings because Morrell has been significantly more efficient in shooting a higher percentage from the field, and he has a significantly higher steal rate. In fantasy, steals are gold because that's an easy way to rack up points. So, um, 
basically what this boils down to to me is I think Morrell is actually better at basketball than Flanagan. Um, you know, he's a better shooter, better scorer, and, and get you those steals, whereas Flanagan is just a volume guy. Like, he's going to take a lot of shots, and he's going to, you know, grab a lot of boards and get a lot of assists because he has the ball in his hands, but he's not actually that efficient with it. And I think it boils down to, like, Alan Flanagan was, a you know, a bro player at Auburn last year. He's not used to being the guy. He's not really um, built to be that guy. So I think as the season progresses, I think you are going to see a little more production out of Merle than out of Flanagan. But again, in a one-game sample size, it wouldn't shock me to see Flanagan outscore him. Now, for the rest of Ole Miss, Brakefield is capable of having a ceiling game, but the problem is with Brakefield is his ceiling games tend to come against teams that play very small or very up-tempo or where Ole Miss just decides we're going to play Brakefield at the five. I don't see any of that happening against LSU. Um, LSU is an up-tempo team, but they do play pretty big. They play two true bigs, um, so I don't necessarily think this is the best spot for that Brakefield ceiling game. Um, another guy that does have my interest is Musa Cisse. He is a transfer from Oklahoma State. He is currently starting at center over Jamarion Sharp, and his usage rates are really good when he's out there. He just hasn't really had a ceiling game yet because he hasn't had a game where he has played a ton of minutes, but when that finally happens, um, you're going to see a lot of fancy points out of Musa Cisse. Now, on the LSU side, they are pretty tough to figure out because they play a nine-man rotation right now. Nine guys since the start of conference play have averaged 13 minutes or more per game for these LSU Tigers. That makes them incredibly hard to target, and it also leads to incredibly inconsistent usage rates. Now, what we have seen over the course of the year is that Jordan Wright, Jalen Cook and Will Baker are all capable of massive ceiling games. You know, Wright is kind of a bigger guard that tends to do his work when a team like starts two smaller guards and he kind of just has a size mismatch. Don't really see that being the case here. Jalen Cook, um, you know, was a point guard at Tulane last year that put up numbers like crazy. Um, I could see him having a big time performance in this one if he ever gets his assist rates back to being where they were when he was at Tulane or like at the start of the season. But he has four total assists at the start of conference play. And then Will Baker is kind of their big that is just boomer bust. I love playing Will Baker in GPPs, though, because he will give you those boom performances every now and then. But you never really know what you're going to get with Will Baker. That's just the full disclaimer. Now, after that, um, Trey Hannibal and Tyrell Ward, or I guess Tyrell Ward, I, I, I pronounced it like Tyrell Hatton, <laughs> the golfer, um, but Trey Hannibal um, is capable of um, a ceiling game as well. He had 28 in the last game against Auburn, um, and that was a game that LSU did not play particularly well. Um, so Hannibal would be a value play that I don't think is a bad option, as well as Ward. Um, you know, Ward plays a lot of minutes off the bench. He hasn't really had a ceiling game in a while, but he's only $3,900. He doesn't have to give you a whole lot to produce. Game number three on the docket is going to be Creighton taking on UConn. Now, this one is one of the worst game environments on the slate, even though it is one of the best basketball games on the slate. Ken Palm has this one projected to be UConn 74 to 69. Creighton, what we know about them is that they only play six guys pretty much. You know, they're going to start Shireman, Kalkbrenner, Alexander, Ashworth, and Miller. Farabello is going to play a significant amount off the bench, and that's pretty much all they play. But the problem is, is even when those are all the guys you play, if it's against a good defensive team who is going to slow the game down and not give you a lot of possessions, it makes it really tough to play these guys, especially when they're priced up as expensive as they are. Baylor Shireman is the one who is seeing his usage increase the most in recent weeks, especially once we've started conference play. You know, he's had four straight or five straight games of 32 or more fantasy points. Actually, make that 
nine straight games of 32 or more fantasy points. You know, if I have in conference play, nine total. Um, so um, Baylor Sharman, definitely a guy who has a legitimate ceiling, is pretty consistent, but $8,900, that's an awful lot to pay for a guy who's going up against a really good defensive team in a game that's not going to see a whole lot of points. Now for UConn, oh, I do one more guy for Creighton. Steven Ashworth is playing a ton of minutes, but he's not really doing a whole lot with the basketball. If you were ever to get a um, game where Shireman and Alexander ended up in foul trouble, I think that would lead to an Ashworth ceiling game. Um, I think he is playable in cash because he's shown you know a decent floor for minutes and a decent floor for fantasy points, but that ceiling game would really come when um, Shireman and Alexander get in foul trouble. Now on the UConn side, the big fella Donovan Klingon might be coming back for this game. Which, here's the problem that creates for DFS. All these guys for UConn are not salary, they're not priced for Donovan Klingon being in the lineup because when Klingon comes back, he is going to command a huge usage rate. He's going to command a lot of shots. He's going to get a lot of rebounds. So I don't really have a whole lot of interest in these guys if Klingon comes back, especially considering it's not a great game environment. Creighton does not play very fast, and they're pretty good defensively. So um, not a whole lot of interest in the UConn side. The guy I will mention is Alex Caravan. Look, he's just been really hot lately. Like, he's playing super well, and, you know, 30 fantasy points in four straight games, 40 in the last one against Georgetown. And maybe Klingon coming back doesn't hurt him a whole lot, I guess, because it allows him to play his natural position of the four. Um, he would probably be the guy I would consider, even if Klingon does come back. Next up, we have Nebraska taking on Rutgers in what is also one of the worst game environments of the slate. This one is projected, to, oh, I'm going to say that one more time, though. You just wait. Um, this one is projected to be 70-69 to 69, um, in favor of Nebraska, according to Ken Palm. Now, Nebraska, the good news for them is they're pretty concentrated at this point in the season. They have four guys who will play a ton of minutes if they can stay, stay out of foul trouble, and that is their big man, Rank Mast, their point guard, who's kind of like a point forward, Bryce Williams, um, their combo forward, Jawan Gary, and their designated shooter, the Japanese Curry, Keze Tominaga. Um, so basically, Rutgers is a team that's going to slow the game down, and they're going to play elite defense. Um, and so a lot of Rutgers' defense is designated to be at the rim. So I don't think that that really bodes well for um, Mast or Bryce Williams, who do a lot of their work at the rim. I think it would not surprise me if you saw a Keze Tominaga ceiling game, just because I think that when you play Rutgers, you're going to have to take more perimeter jump shots because it is so hard to get to the rim against them when you've got Big Cliff and you've got Mawat Mag and you've got Andre Hyatt out there. It's just really tough to get to the rim against them. So Keze Tomonaga is a guy that's on my radar, but probably not a guy I'm playing a whole lot because I think you can avoid this game altogether. Now, on the Rutgers side, um, this is a really low price point for Big Cliff Omarugi. Um, You know, he hasn't been great lately. Um, he, he really needs to stay out of foul trouble. That, that would be the big thing. And so if he's playing against Rink Mast and he can just avoid fouling him, we could get a big game out of Big Cliff. But, um, you know, that price point is definitely juicy. Mawat Mag is a guy who has had some ceiling games recently. Um, you know, he had 45 against Iowa, 35 against Indiana. I don't know if that's something that's going to stick, though, because, um, you know, he really did it from filling up the stat sheet and, you know, getting a lot of shots that he's not really generally had over the course of his career. But only $6,800, it wouldn't be too expensive to find out. The guy I would be interested in for Rutgers is one of my kind of favorite value plays on the slate is Austin Williams. He's only $4,100. He was moved into the starting line 
lineup. He has played 23, 24, and 32 minutes in his last three games. He's gotten at least five shots in all three of those games, and he's got pretty decent rebound rates as well, peaking with 24 fantasy points against Indiana. That's about six times value for his salary. So um, Austin Williams would be a guy that I would have a little bit interested in, even though the game environment is not anything special. All right, that does it for the first half of the slate. So let's take a quick breather, and then let's break down the second half. Now, before we get started with the second half of the slate, I do want to mention there are a few places where you can get more information from me. First off, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. Um, I tweet out all updates for the show as well as the rundown for every college basketball slate where I just kind of highlight my favorite categorical plays for each slate. Um, and then, you know, if you ever have any lineup questions, start sit questions, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to answer on there. And then also, I'm in the Fancy Corner Discord. I mentioned this in the description, but a lot of smart people in there who can really help you get better at DFS for college basketball, NFL, NBA. We got all sports covered, even golf. Um, so, you know, join that if you're looking for people to talk DFS with. It's just fun to, a fun community to be a part of each and every night in the Fancy Corner Discord. And then also, I do write a full article on my Patreon for each and every slate where I highlight my core plays as well as kind of my lineup strategy and attack strategy for the slate. I know in these videos, I go over a whole lot of information, you know, I talk about a whole lot of possibilities. If you want to see who makes the cut, head on over to Patreon because that's where I'm actually like posting my, my plays and my strategy. Now, generally, if you like what we do here at Mike's Money Picks and you want to support us, please subscribe to the YouTube channel as well as to the audio feed. We are closing in on 400 subscribers on YouTube and I really want to get to 500 before March Madness because 500 is a big time milestone on YouTube, especially considering we didn't start the YouTube channel until June. And then also, if you want to support what we do here, join the Patreon because the Patreon is a way that it kind of finances um, a lot of what I do on here, just getting the money from that um, and then being able to, you know, use the money to buy data that I can then, you know, interpret the data and then bring you guys here the information here on this show. So if you like, if you want to support what we do, subscribe to the YouTube, subscribe to the Patreon. All right, now let's go ahead and take a look at game number five of the night, which is the best game environment of the night. It is Florida State taking on Miami. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to be Miami 81 to 75, which gives Miami the highest team total of the night at 81 points. Now for FSU, they're kind of running a little bit hot. You know, the ACC is a tough conference and they're kind of running off of four straight wins right now FSU is and a big reason why is they've kind of figured something out they've kind of just started playing through a few guys as opposed to trying to play through seven or eight guys now there's still nine to ten guys that are going to see minutes for this team but the usage is getting a little more concentrated and one of the guys that it's concentrating around is Jameer Watkins he's a guy who can fill up a stat sheet um he can score it rebounded and assist it for you um he's got a ceiling of 38 fantasy points in conference play against Wake Forest. I think he's a really solid play. And then also, um, Jalen Worley is another guy who they have really concentrated their usage around. Um, you know, in three of his last four games, he's hit 18 or more fantasy points, and he has done it without being super efficient from the field. Um, but the shot attempts are there. The minutes are increasing. Um, he's a guy who I think is trending upward. He's one of my favorite value guards of the slate in a great game environment. Now, the other two guys I would consider for my player pool, um, Darren Green Jr. has been pretty solid recently as well, but he really just kind of has the one ceiling game and then a whole lot of just Meh. performances and at $6,700 you're paying for that ceiling um, Primo Spears is a guy that eventually is going to catch lightning in a bottle and just go off um, he has a massive usage rate when he is in the game the problem is is he is not playing a significant minutes load right now and he doesn't do a whole lot else outside of scoring but 
eventually he's just going to drop 30. Like it's going to happen at some point. And if you want to catch that and just keep playing him and eventually he's going to get there. But, um, you know, I, I would like to see more minutes out of him or more trending in the right direction before I, I think that's actually going to happen. Now, on the Miami side, there's no injury drama for Miami this week, thank the Lord, because that was kind of stressful last week, having to figure out whether all these guys were going to play or not. Um, so they've got their whole starting five back, Omir, Cleveland, Nigel Pack, Wuga Poplar, and Bensley Joseph. They're going to play a ton of minutes, even if the game is a blowout, if the game is close, whatever, those five are going to play a ton of minutes, and they're going to see a ton of usage. Now, the most interesting way to attack this for me, it's a Matthew Cleveland revenge game. He transferred from Florida State, and it wouldn't shock me if he wanted to go out and have a really good performance against his former school and just show them that the grass really is greener on the other side. Um, he's also been pretty darn solid recently. Um, you know, 31 fancy points and 45 fancy points in his last two games. Um, he's definitely a guy that is going to make my player pool in, on the Wednesday slate. And then also you look at FSU's box scores, you know, big time guards have really given them an issue where if there's a high usage guard on a team, um, that team has pretty much given FSU issues when they have played. And so the guy that I think would kind of fit that bill would be Nigel Pack because he is a guy who can fill up the stat sheet with rebounds as well as assists, as well as scoring. And he is capable of getting hot from the floor. So he would probably be my second favorite hurricane. But like I said, their entire starting five is probably going to make my player pool just because you know they're going to play a ton of minutes and they're going to have a ton of opportunities and they're the highest scoring team in the slate. Next up, we have Virginia Tech taking on Virginia, another battle in the ACC. Um, this is the lowest game total of the slate. Ken Palm has this one projected to be 64 to 61 in favor of Virginia. Honestly, on an eight-game slate, you can take a Sharpie and just draw a big fat X through this one and cross it out if you want to. However, I think there's actually a few places where there could be a little bit of value. So for Virginia Tech, Hunter Couture is currently questionable. He is one of their better players. He's definitely one of their best shooters on the perimeter. And what you saw last game was Tyler Nickel and MJ Collins um, each played at least 34 minutes in that last game. Um, saw a little bit of boosted opportunities because of that. So if Couture continues to be out, Nickel and Collins, I would consider for my player pool, as ugly as this game environment is, the best part about playing either of those two guys is you don't need a whole lot of fantasy points to get there because they're pretty cheap. It also wouldn't shock me if we get a big Lynn Kidd game. Virginia's had a lot of issues at the center position. More on that in a second. Um, but, you know, he is capable of sealing games. He's had, you know, a 50 fancy point performance earlier in the season. So it wouldn't shock me if we did get a sealing game. However, ACC play has not been very kind to Lynn Kidd. Sean Padula is the guy that I like, though. So, even at $7,700, I still think there's a lot to like about Sean Padua. Even in the worst game environment of the night, I still think there's a lot to like about Sean Padua. His usage rates have been out the wazoo lately. Like, I couldn't think of another phrase there that would exemplify it better than out the wazoo. In his last three games, he's taken 17, 16, and 23 shots. He has had 40, 34, and 35% usage rates, and he's put up 11 and 14 rebounds plus assists in his last two games. Last two games, 57 and 54 fantasy points. Now, even if you're sitting there thinking, but Mike, they're only implied to score 61 points. You know, Virginia's going to slow the game down. He can't possibly do that again, right? Well, he might not do 54 or 57 again, but he's only 7,700. And so if he gives you 40, which is just 80% of that, that's a pretty solid total. Um, and so I think Sean Padua would be a one-off play that I would be interested in. And I'm hoping that everybody is scared away from Sean Padua because of the matchup in the game environment against Virginia. 
Speaking of Virginia, got to talk about them. Reese Beekman has great rates, um, very solid usage, very solid assist rates. Um, he's only 7,500, which is like the cheapest he's been in the last two seasons. Not a terrible play in my opinion. Not a super likely to give you 40 or 50 fantasy points play. Not a terrible play though. Um, where the drama starts for Virginia, though, is the center and, and power forward position. So last game, um, they switched it up. They had been starting freshman Blake Buchanan at center. I was all over him on Saturday for that reason. I thought that was a great spot against Wake, um, but it didn't work out. They, they moved him to the bench. They ended up starting Jake Groves at the four and then Jordan Miner at the five. Jordan Miner's only 3,600 on DraftKings, and he played 22 minutes in that game against Wake and put up 18 fantasy points. So y'all, we will live with 18 fantasy points from a guy who's $3,600. Now, like I said, this has been a super inconsistent position for Virginia all season long. They've had a lot of issues with this position all season long, but at only $3,600, it doesn't cost a lot to find out with Jordan Miner. And playing him would allow you to do something like playing two or three of the Miami guys or you know, playing Toulouse Smith and Rob Dillingham in the Mississippi State-Kentucky game. Like, that $3,600, dollars gives you a ton of savings and it doesn't totally nuke your lineup even if he gives you like six or seven fantasy points because just think about the math here right like if you're aiming for 4x value now if you want to win a gpp you should be aiming for at least 5x value but if you're aiming for 4x value conservatively in every position and jordan minor gives you eight fantasy points he's only six points off his pace for 4x value which would be 14 so you you can make that six points up elsewhere if you get the other positions right that he allows you to spend up to. So um, I think he's a very solid play, in my opinion. It's going to be one, though, where you're going to want to check the starting lineups beforehand, like find their Twitter account, on, you know, find a radio guy or whatever. Make sure he's in the starting lineup before you play him, but I think he's a really solid value play if he is in that starting lineup. Now, we got two more games, both battles in the Big 12. We got West Virginia taking on Oklahoma. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to be Oklahoma 78-63, to which is the most lopsided game on the slate and gives Vir or West Virginia the second lowest team total, um, higher than only Virginia Tech. Um, and on the West Virginia side, look, I, I got to keep it pretty simple here. There's two guys I'm even considering. It's Raekwon Battle and it's Patrick Sumnick. Raekwon Battle takes a ton of shots. Like, there's just no way around it. He takes a ton of shots, and by taking all those shots, he has plenty of opportunities to put up fancy points. There. That's all you need to know about Raekwon Battle. Patrick Sumnick um, got the start against Texas, and as a Texas fan, I watched that game. I was impressed. He looked great. Um, he's apparently got an illness right now and is questionable for this game. I'm not interested in anybody else on West Virginia. I, I, if he plays, I think he's a great value play at 4,100. He's only 500 up from um, Jordan Miner that we just talked about, and I think he's a whole lot safer than Jordan Miner because he started a few games now, and he's looked pretty good for a few games. Um, so if he does, in fact, end up playing, then I think he's a super intriguing piece. However, you do have to wait till 8 p.m. to know if he's playing or not because this is the latest tip of the slate. On the Oklahoma side, look, they're a tough team to figure out. They really are. They play a lot of guys. They, they kind of have like guys that split minutes like um, Godwin and Hughley. But I think that the guy I like on this side is J.B. McCollum. He has seen his usage increase in conference play, and he's kind of been their guy when it got to conference play. And at $7,400, you need at least 30 fancy points out of him to hit value, and he's done that in three of his last five. So I don't think that's a terrible spot for J.B. McCollum. Uzan is a guy who can fill up the stat sheet with rebounds and assists for you, and if this turns into a game where Oklahoma ends up scoring like 80 points, he's probably going to be a big reason why, and I think he's probably the most stackable piece on this Oklahoma side. 
Last game of the night, and you guys know how I feel about this one. This one is UCF taking on Texas. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to be 74 to 66 in favor of Texas. Um, UCF is a team that plays at a fast tempo, but they're not very good offensively. So um, the one good piece of news with UCF, though, is they have significantly shrunk down their rotation since conference play has started. Pretty much, they're almost exclusively playing Darius Johnson, Jaywin Shellers, Jaywin Sellers, and Shamari Allen at the guard spots, and then Ibrahim Diallo and CJ Walker at the forward spots. Walker, in particular, is an interesting value at only 4400 I don't think he has any kind of ceiling, but the price tag is pretty good, and if you use him as a late swap option for Sumnick, I think that's a very legitimate strategy. Ibrahim Diallo is their big man, and Biggs have had kind of a tough time against Texas recently, but he's been really solid recently. He's playing a lot more minutes than he used to. He's had a lot more usage than he used to, um, and he's got a legitimate ceiling. Um, also, for the guards, I am Johnson over Sellers, in my opinion. Um, Darius Johnson has seen a significantly higher usage rate since the start of conference play, whereas Sellers was kind of their guy in non-conference. Um, so Darius Johnson would be the guy that I would target. Bigger guards have kind of given Texas a little bit of issues as well because Texas likes to play two guys that are essentially point guards. Um, I, I guess the way he plays, Johnson might fit the bill. Like, I don't know. He's not like a big, big guy, but just... He'd be the guy I would consider on this UCF side. Now, on the Texas side, I can say this because I'm a Texas fan. They've been a little bit of a disappointment this season. However, if any non-Texas fan were to try to tell me that, I would want to fight them. But basically, what I think Texas needs to do to start getting their season back right is they need to either embrace one of two styles. Either we are going to be more of a half-court offense that is going to play through Max Acemas and Dylan DeSue, or we are going to be a run-and-gun up-tempo team that uses the athleticism of Dylan Mitchell and Tyrese Hunter to get out in transition and get easy buckets. Because what you've seen is they kind of play two games at once right now. When they are in the half-court, it's an Acemas and DeSue game. When they get in transition, it's a Mitchell and Hunter game. And so since DeSue has kind of came back, you've seen more of the first one, but there's still the potential for the second one where it turns into a Mitchell and Hunter game. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of getting on my soapbox here. Um, for DFS, I like Acemas and DeSue. Um, Acemas is only $8,200. He has a legitimate 50 fancy point ceiling. Um, when the game gets close in the Big 12, the ball is in Max Acemas' hands. and He's going to take a ton of shots, and he is going to hit a lot of them. And he's a guy that I think $8,200 is a very reasonable price tag for him. Dylan DeSue is another guy who has an insane ceiling. So I think for Texas to really get this offense going in the half court, it needs to be Acemas and DeSue in the pick and roll, which is what they've done each of the last two games. Against Cincinnati, 54 fantasy points from Dylan DeSue. Against West Virginia, he dealt with a little bit of foul trouble and still put up 30 fantasy points, which we will take at a salary of $7,100. And I think this UCF front court is a little bit weaker defensively than the West Virginia one was. So I think this is an absolute smash spot for Dylan DeSue. I think you can play him stacked with Max Acemas or unstacked with Max Acemas. I think the pivot would be to play like Dylan Mitchell and Tyrese Hunter together because the two of them would be kind of like the anti-Acemas and DeSue. Also, we have an Ithiel Horton revenge game. He transferred from UCF. It would not shock me to see Rodney Terry like go out of his way to get Ithiel Horton some buckets against his former team. Like It just wouldn't shock me to see that. Granted, he hasn't done much of anything recently, um, but he's still a rotational player. And he does have a little bit of added motivation. All right, so that does it for 
all four of the second half of this slate, and we've now done all eight of the Wednesday, January 17th slate of college basketball DFS. So um, hopefully we're able to give you guys plenty of information here on this episode that you can use to build some winning DFS lineups. If you like what you saw here on this episode, make sure you subscribe to the channel. That way you can be notified when new episodes drop and you can be back for the rest of our college basketball coverage all season long, all the way up until the national championship game in April. And also while you're at it, please hit the like button on YouTube as well as rate and review the audio feed. Y'all, those do not fall on deaf ears. They significantly help me out a lot. It boosts the videos in searches and it basically helps the videos get noticed, which helps me grow the community, which is what the goal is here. So um, help me out. Hit the like button hit the subscribe button. I really do appreciate it. Reminder, if you do want more from me, follow me on Twitter at MikeSmoneyPicks. Link to the Fancy Corner Discord is in the description and link to the Patreon is on is in the description as well. All right, that does it for this episode, y'all. So that was the Wednesday, January 17th slate. Um, best of luck to you guys playing this slate and for the rest of the week. We hope to be back for the Thursday as well as the Friday slate. So make sure you're subscribed so you can catch those two episodes. Anyway, best of luck to you. Thank you guys for watching and listening to this point, and I will see you next time. <laughs>